Hi and welcome back to the show. Today we have with us Mikhail Cardoso. He is the CEO and founder of Cloud CFO. Today we are talking all things accounting. We discuss the Philippine taxation and accounting environment and also the future uh, trends towards having accounting work, global accounting work, wherever businesses are done more and more from the Philippines. We talk about sort of the transactional process part of accounting and bookkeeping and taxation versus the higher level strategic kind of discussions and conversations that you would have with a CFO. So a really good conversation with Mikhail. I certainly learned a lot. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Mikhail, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, good, Derek. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure, pleasure. So I want to discuss uh, my favorite topic, of course, which is uh, accounting <laughs> and taxation. Uh, and really great to have you on the show because you run Cloud CFO and it's really sort of making fantastic ground here in the Philippines and, and I hope simplifying a very complicated uh, tax system for, for businesses here. So yeah, welcome to the show. And I suppose uh, we'll first just get a bit of an introduction to you and then we can talk a little bit about why the taxation system is is so complicated here in the Philippines. But yeah, Mikhail, do you want to do you want to give an outline? What, yeah, what do you do? For sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me again, Derek. Uh, super excited to be on the show. Um, so yeah, we uh, so uh, you can call me Mikhail or Michael. Um, the, I'm the founder and CEO of Cloud CFO. We are cloud accountants uh, in a, a simple way, if I had to describe it uh, in a simple term mostly for the Philippines market. That's what makes us a bit different. A lot of the um, cloud players or cloud 
financial providers uh, can tend to target uh, foreign markets. We took the crazy challenge about five years ago to try to do this well uh, at scale on the Philippines domestic market. Um, uh, why do I call it a crazy challenge? We, we are in a regulatory environment that's a lot more complex than other jurisdictions. Um, in the Philippines, you have to file multiple taxes every month, penalties for non-filing any of those taxes or, or failing to remit the payment due uh, will pile up very quickly uh, if you if you miss your deadline by a day. So we, we're in an ecosystem that requires a constant uh, focus on process um, and and managing timelines. So it's been it's been quite the ride. We are um, eighty people now. Uh, we've got about one hundred and sixty active customers. Ninety percent of them in the Philippines uh, and ten percent abroad. Um, so yeah, we we do a cloud accounting, local tax filings. We provide payroll services as well. We also have a payroll platform that uh, our clients avail of when they avail of our services. Uh, and then for, for some clients, we do weekly workflows, um, payables management, receivables management. So anything that we can processize, we, we can work on. For so long as it's on cloud solutions that we work with, we, we don't push paper around or, or use Excel. It's, it's tech-driven. And there's there's a lot of money entering into the accounting space. It seems at the moment, like there's Bench.co and there's a few others, aren't there, that are really you know getting the Silicon Valley big money in there. Um, what are they Definitely. really doing different apart from the traditional accounting? How how do you think this you know age old accounting sector is really being restructured? And and is it really, or is it just a, a kind of a, a facade on top of something that is very traditional and standard? Uh, no, it is. It is technology disrupting. It is disrupting this traditional um, kind of almost mom and pop type of accounting uh, expertise or the traditional accountant. Uh, technology is really rocking the boat. Um, you have solutions that work on AI, trying to read receipts, uh, trying to automate entries. Some uh, accounting systems are doing this. Uh, Bench.co is actually a, a great example. There, there, there is tons of money uh, from from venture capital. Um, and they do it. They do it in the U.S. So they they have their own cloud accounting system, but they're also a service provider. So I, th- I think we're kind of in a similar field, but we're doing it for the domestic market in the Philippines, which is a lot more uh, complex to navigate, I think, than the U.S. Um, uh, system. So, but yeah, the, I, it's. I don't think it's a facade. I think there is part of this because at the end of the day, it is still taxation. It is still compliance with accounting standards, which which haven't changed that much over time, but technology is allowing firms to provide a completely different service. Um, monthly financial closing, having access to added value financial information for SMEs uh, was very difficult a few years back. Like accountants would come in end of the year, file your taxes and tell you, okay, this is your, this is your report for the year. And that happens like three, four months after your year, year, year end. So you kind of, running your business kind of half blind or you just know if you make money because you have cash in the bank. Those solutions and, and us included allow, allow those SMEs to avail of, of more added value services at, at fairly uh, affordable costs um, because it's scalable because tech's driving a lot of the uh, traditional paper pushing. Got it. And so the Philippines then, it's uh, it's an awfully complicated market. It, it seems that there are just so many hurdles and so many sort of opportunities to be tripped up. And it seems uh, complicated, certainly from you know a layman's outsider's perspective. How would you frame the Philippine uh, 
taxation system and, and the processes involved? Um, it is complex. There are um, multiple taxes you, be, you need to be mindful of. I mean, it's not, it's not very different from other countries in the region, but it, it, you know, if you look at the whole spectrum of taxation in uh, countries like Singapore, which is probably one of the friendliest uh, environments for, for doing everything online and efficiently, uh, I think the Philippines are probably close to the other end of the spectrum here. Um, you have multiple withholding taxes. Um, so you, on, on some suppliers, based on the type of transactions you, you have or based on the contractual engagements you have with them, you, you need to withhold. And you as the payer are responsible for knowing what what rate to apply and under which conditions. So it is complex. Um, you, that, uh, that rules are also complex even for uh, outsourcing companies that, that sell services abroad. They, wouldn't, they would think that... Um, because they're, they're uh, exporting services, there is no VAT, but there are certain regulation and, and rules for you to be uh, zero-rated VAT. And sometimes taxpayers are not aware of it. So the service, in essence, is an export, which will be a zero-rated VAT or no VAT would apply in a transaction. But because they get paid in a way that they're not necessarily aware, uh, doesn't comply with uh, tax regulation, they get in trouble with the tax office. Um, so it, it is fairly complex. Uh, quite a few things for you to be mindful of and for, uh, for you to know as a taxpayer running your business here. Uh, but that's what we're here. <laughs> so that's that's just challenge we are we're trying to solve um, is how to how to do what we do in a complex environment. Mm-hmm. And do you get, I mean, you have quite a lot of foreign clients effectively, don't you, that are in the Philippines and effectively building businesses in the Philippines, but then having to navigate the Philippine taxation system? That's right. That's right. So uh, we do have domestic clients and quite a few, actually. I, I don't have the exact ratio, but we do also run um, a portfolio of, of foreign clients who have um, businesses here. Um, either uh, actually in, in the BPO sector, quite a few Um shared services that uh, service their company uh, or parent company abroad or related party abroad. So we, we work with quite a few of these companies over um, young expatriates that, uh, that uh, had, a, had a chance as the, had the entrepreneurial uh, experience in the Philippines. So yes, we do work with foreigners in the, in the domestic market, but we also work with, with local companies, uh, quite a few of them. Yeah, and there is there is an adjustment, right? There is a, there, it, it can be quite intimidating at first when you, when we talk to those customers and, and try to explain that, you know, yeah, when you pay rent, you have to withhold 5%. And then every time you pay your landlord, you got to issue a tax form, et cetera. So there is a bit of, um, I wouldn't say education, but kind of getting to know the market um, that needs to come in because you, you run into issues fairly, fairly quickly if you're not aware of what you need to do, uh, especially for foreigners uh, that come in. Um, if you If you have experience running businesses abroad, it can be intimidating once you get to know what actually needs to happen here. And it seems there, there's there been uh, tax changes recently, and it seems there are efforts to make the tax environment more friendly to, to business. And certainly, you know, the rates have gone down. And uh, I, I think it's generally trying to be pro-business, but it's it's more the kind of the execution, the operational aspect of being compliant is just so burdensome. Is that is that right? That, that's correct. I mean, there is an effort from government to reduce red tape in general, and to I mean, we we had the the highest uh, income tax rate in the region. Uh, it was thirty three percent until last year, 
uh, it was brought down to 25 or 20 percent, depending on on the size of your company. So that that's a that's definitely a move in the right direction to make the country more competitive. Uh, you also have PESA uh, PESA incentives. Um, those were also being revised and and have recently been been revised. Uh, but you, you're correct, Derek. The the implementation of it, the, there are certain things that that in the day-to-day doesn't necessarily make the life of a, of a business easier. Uh, I was mentioning withholding tax. This is something we see very commonly. So a few years ago, um, as part of those reforms, the, the tax office um, kind of uh, gave, it, gave itself a mandate to be able to nominate any taxpayer as a withholding agent. Um, a few years ago, only the large taxpayers had to apply withholding on all purchases. Um, with this new... Uh, update from the BIR, they could just decide to nominate any taxpayer as a withholding agent. So it doesn't matter if you're a top 20,000 taxpayer anymore. And we had a lot of clients who are fairly small companies who received a letter from the tax office that from um, from this month on, they will have to withhold on every purchase. Um, that's that's quite, uh, I mean, that, that's quite a burden, right? That means every time you buy something, you need to issue a tax form uh, to your supplier and with old 1%, 2%, 5 10 depending on the type of supply. So it's a, it was a good intention, but the implementation of it actually created a context that, that could make things harder for companies. And that, that's just one example. It's not always in the going in the wrong direction, but there are a few instances where uh, implementation kind of didn't really follow with the intent. Part of the re- a reason why the outsourcing industry is so prolific and so dominant is because the ease of doing business, you know, there's not fantastic ease of doing business. So the BPOs come in and they shield the clients and they give turnkey solutions for the employment and facilities and they make everything easy. Um, But then, of course, if clients get to a certain size, it it reaches this tipping point where, uh, you know, a few of them look to incorporate and have their own entity to employ their own staff. And of course, they, there's, you know, it's, it's cheaper, but, have you do you come across that much? It seems like you know it is quite a common journey for those that start to get to you know dozens of staff or certainly fifty yeah. to one hundred staff. Would you recommend that? Is that an easy journey? Um, would you recommend it for five staff, for example? Um, I think it has to do a lot with uh, how you employ people. Um, when you start and you kind of just hiring people on a freelance or consultancy contract. Um, in some cases, employees may you may not be as competitive as someone who will uh, employ a, um, an employee on a, on a full-time basis through an employee-employer engagement. Uh, there are certain protections for the staff that they may be looking for, um, and you can compensate for that on your on your consultancy uh, uh, agreement with them. But I think as you scale, you will you would face challenges. I, I don't know what the magic number is. Is it five, ten, twenty, or hundred? There are people who run hundreds of people. Um, teams in the Philippines, uh, mostly on consultancy, so straight from abroad, uh, and that that's also empowered by solutions that that kind of you know a marketplace for for freelancing, and then you you, you hire the people on a full time basis. But I think the, the limitation is not really on the corporate structure; it's more really on the employee employer relationship. And can you be competitive at scale um, uh, as an employer if if you don't have uh, if you don't employ people through a corporation here domestically? So I, I think that would be one of the issues. But it is it is a journey. It's a 
it's you need to incorporate, you need to be mindful of payroll taxes, um, uh, statutory deductions with SSS, Peggy Big, PhilHealth. So it is a journey that is probably needed. Um, and you, you need to make sure you get the right people on board. So if, you, if you're running a team from abroad and you just need to make sure they're paid on time and, and that they, you know, they do their jobs, once you've got a local company here that employs these people, then you, all that compliance becomes your responsibility. Um, and so you just need to make sure you're ready and hire the right people in HR, um, in accounting, or, or, or work with good providers that can help you navigate all this. And it adds cost to your structure, of course. And you mentioned contract staffing there. It's 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 huge. And it's mm. more whether a lot of it is legitimate, but there's a huge kind of gray market, gray economy of freelancers, online workers, specifically, yep. you know, and people on Upwork, for example. And, exactly. and then, you know, there are a lot of spin-off companies that then just employ people direct. And from my understanding, it's not really completely legitimate. And what what is your perspective on that in terms of these you know and there's even kind of va firms agencies they might have hundreds of staff even thousands all under this contract arrangement is that is that allowed how how does the government sort of view that engagement so are you referring from contracting from abroad so uh, say a company in the yeah, us so, having people as contractors here throughout board correct yeah if it's if it's like full time employment but yeah. they're basically on a contract basis uh so that i mean I, I i don't think there's anything wrong with this pretty much the worker is happy with the engagement and he's aware that he doesn't have the traditional employer-employee relationship uh, and the benefits that come with it um then the, from a from a regulatory perspective that person is just responsible for filing their own taxes um in their country of, of tax residentship which in this case the philippines for the company in the U.S., there's nothing wrong with that for so long as you have, again, this is subcontracting agreement. Uh, in terms of how does this work with labor regulation, uh, it's a big gray area. And I think COVID has kind of made this even grayer, right, with all the contractual work from home permanent, uh, either from the same country you're in or abroad. Uh, this this is kind of, I think, fast track a lot of these discussions about global employment engagement. Uh, but from a regulatory standpoint, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and, and staffing, I think staffing is, is slightly different. A lot of, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of BPOs, uh, that's their model, right? They, they're, they hire, they, um, they, they pretty much put the people on, people under their own payroll and subcontract this to, to foreign companies. Um, in that case, most of the time they will have an employee employee relationship, but that's not always the case either. Um, and, and I think it's more labor law discussion than than tax or or um, even accounting treatment. It's, it's just a contractual uh, engagement between the individual. Uh, technically, the individual should register as an independent uh, taxpayer with the with the BIR here, the Bureau of International Internal Revenue. Uh, but I I don't think it's always the case. But um, yeah, I, I I don't see anything wrong with it. It's very flexible. It allows you to scale fast. Um, but at some point as an employer, it might cause issues because again, like people do like the employee-employer relationship. There are some protections, there are certain um, regulations that protect them, certain benefits they can avail of. So that's mostly where the difference would be, I think. Got it, got it. And so if we look more on a global perspective of accounting, 
And uh-huh. one of the biggest, you know, outsourcing is huge in the Philippines. And I would say one of the largest specialized verticals is, is accounting services. So right. Philippine accountants, qualified accountants or bookkeepers yep. or CPAs are doing the accounting work or bookkeeping of foreign firms. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's really big and really growing. How do you yeah. see that, um, the future of that market, big opportunities? And, you know, how do you see that from the perspective of the generic sort of globalization of accounting practices? Do, is it something that you do need localized knowledge or do you think that the sort of the labor component of accounting services can be now centralized in the cheaper countries uh it can and it's it's worked it's worked tremendously for for um for a few years now for several years um in in the philippines we use uh accounting standards are very close to ifrs international the standards that are used internationally so uh, there's not a huge learning curve uh, for you to work with um us-based company they use gap but again in, in most cases there's no not many differences um, so the the kind of the globalization of the services is, is is already happening and and I think there's a huge opportunity for it. Now the localization will be on the tax expertise on the on the real added value. So we actually call cloud CFO because that's that's kind of our model. The the day to day kind of bookkeeping, uh, entering um, receipts into a system. That's that's um, that's what a lot of the outsourcing firms have been doing and and doing an arbitrage on the labor costs, right? So, if you have data encoding uh, for bookkeepers, it's a lot better to do it from the Philippines than, than to hire people from the U.S. or, or Australia. That would mean uh, for accountants in those countries to, to remain competitive, um, they'll need to position themselves higher up in the value chain. So really tax expertise. And, and those are not global questions yet. Each country or in, in some cases each state have different tax regulation. And that's a lot harder to outsource uh, from the other side of the world. So it's it's really kind of, I think we're still in the lower uh, steps of the value chain. It's it's a lot of bookkeeping, it's financial closing, it's some controls, it's some, um, some uh, even within accounting, you have verticals, you have companies that do just only account payables or teams that do account payables. Uh, some of it will do some reconciliations. Um, so that's kind of very transactional in nature. All the advisory piece tends to remain um, local. Uh, and, I, and I think that's what the market will do uh, and continue to do. Technology is going to also change that. Um, technology is probably going to replace a lot of the bookkeeping work uh, first. Uh, it's, it's a lot harder to create algorithms that can understand each tax code and interpret every transaction based on the local tax regulation. But data encoding based on OCR reading of a PDF, uh, I think we're pretty much there already. Wow. And where do you see that going then? Do you do you, because the advisory piece, the you know the the advice piece up the top, it's uh-huh. very high value, but it's it's relatively sort of low uh, time and low man hours, isn't it? Whereas the kind of the encoding and and the lifting work, if all of that is done overseas, do you do you see a, a kind of trend where it would all be done overseas in the near future? Um, I think it also depends on how firms position themselves. So um, earlier I mentioned that um, before you do financial closing once a year for your customers, right? And that's it. That's a regulatory obligation to file your financial statement. So that's when you do it for your customer. But now uh, some firms can actually do this a lot more frequently because the, the kind of the, the transactional aspect of it is cheaper 
uh, easier to do through technology. So you can focus your time in advising your customers, uh, reading their PL, reading their balance sheet, telling them where they can make improvements. So that's really actually uh, you know, almost what, what Cloud CFO stands for. Our objective is not just to take care of your regulatory obligation and do your bookkeeping, is uh, to spend also some more senior time from our team to advise you on, on how to read your financial statements and interpret it in a way that helps you run your business. So I think that's where a lot of the changes will happen um, if I kind of extend our model here in the Philippines to how it translates globally. Accounting firms will have to adjust to this. So the transactional day-to-day will be either automated or outsourced or both, but the added value, it's up to each firm to, to find a way to, to, you know, to find a way to continue to service customers and justify their fees, right? If not, if not the, the race is going to be a race to the bottom in terms of what the um, compliance work will, will cost. So it's, it's really providing better service uh, and, and justify, um, justify kind of the, the added value piece that previously wasn't really there. Got it, got it. And then in terms of the different, because I'm always fascinated by the globalization of things and whether we're all just going to end up with kind of a singularity where everything is very generic and uniform. And do you do you see in sort of 20 to 40 years from now, it, it, the globe will be very standardized or do you see that there will be continual idiosyncrasies in, across different jurisdictions and complexities? Or do you think that ultimately there will be programs or systems that will have um, either, you know, have have learnt to uh, manage the different terrains for the different jurisdictions? Do you think all of this will become very um, homogenized? Um, I think on a transactional thing, it, it will be automated and almost uh, similar, like global systems will kind of read transactions and know how to interpret them. From a tax perspective, I think that's that's going to take a bit longer. Um, it's, it's still, I mean, even even... European Union is having a very hard time harmonizing tax treatment across their country. And they've been working on integration for quite some time already. So from a global perspective, I think this will take time. Uh, you also have to make up for differences in um, social environments and, and social uh, distribution of wealth. And how does that impact um, how each um, political establishments wants to to redistribute wealth. So doing it from an harmonious basis globally, I, I think is still a very long shot. So there is room for for dis- disruption from technology perspective, but uh, I don't think we'll be in a situation where um, it will be harmonious across the entire globe. Uh, but but it, it is exciting to see what can happen from AI, right? If you, it's, it's not impossible to foresee in, uh, in years that a machine will be able to understand the entire tax code and really kind of start um, even um, appreciate the nuances across country and still work on automation regardless of, of the non-globalization of, of tax codes. That, that's, right. that's, that's a very real possibility. Yeah. Do, you think, do you think with the AI and automation, you, know, you will be able to get uh, like closing balances on the day of the month and you know, it, it uh, will be kind of almost live because accounting is always historically, you know, you need to sort of finish the period, then you need to close right. everything off and then you get the true view. Do you ever see a future where, you know, it can almost happen live time? Um, yeah, certainly. Um, now, certain controls will take some time. Like there are certain best practices that 
the technology can help you do but live uh, maybe not live but few days for closing fairly large companies uh, that, that's definitely possible because uh, it's all about technology integration um look at e-commerce the way some of the e-commerce platforms integrate into some of the accounting erps uh, all of this is reconciled almost automatically now well before you'd have thousands of transactions from a from an e-commerce platform that you have to reconcile against your bank statement if you if you set it up right this this can be almost automated on day plus one when your when your bank feed kind of loads um so yeah it's working it's, it's working towards that with where i think kind of will always remain a part of the uh part of making this work is the advisory piece so um uh, for us when we onboard a client depending on on their um, industry, we need to tailor processes to make things efficient. Because if, if it's not process driven, if it's not timeline driven, um, and we don't standardize and and create a flow where those dependencies are created, then then we suffer. Uh, a client doesn't get the output on time, and and we also on the back foot trying to reconcile things. So a lot of the work is on the advisory piece to tailor each business model. Um, to the accounting practice, the controls, um, the rega- regulatory environment to get the output right on the, on a short amount of time. So shortening that amount of time is always possible, but it comes at compromise. It's, it's can technology reconcile things for us instead of having man hours booked. It's thick, if it cannot, then, then you do have manual processes that need to remain in place and will take time. Got it. And Cloud CFO now, you do offer uh, accounting services for international companies and, and effectively staffing services for Western companies that would would probably likely be paying far higher salaries for their bookkeeping and uh, right. general accounting administrative work. Um, is that, you know, do you see that as a big opportunity in the accounting sector and for businesses in the West generally? Uh, absolutely. So um, this is something we're launching now, Derek. Uh, we're launching kind of a, a international service. Uh, we we learned a few things uh, here uh, again, respect of process timeline that I I strongly believe we can uh, leverage to to provide a great service at affordable cost to foreign companies. Because uh, we our objective is not just to um, provide uh, seating space for for bookkeepers it's really process driven is uh, what type of business do you run uh, how can we help you implement accounting solutions and other uh, uh, systems or SaaS systems that can help make everything efficient um, so we we do we do see uh, a big opportunity in, in foreign markets uh, we're just launching this now um, so I think in a few months I'll be able to tell you how how it worked out but uh, we are very excited about it because Everything we learn here through uh, this complex regulatory system, we can use it abroad to provide a, a great added value service. Because so much of abroad is so much easier, actually, isn't it? Like everything is absolutely kind of digital. Everything is online submissions. Everything is really primed for a digital integration. Whereas, you know, if you can get things to work in the Philippines, which is still very much paper based, and it's right. uh, you can certainly make it work overseas. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what we're thinking too. It'd probably be a lot easier to scale our business in uh, overseas uh, clients than, than it is here because less less friction on, on the day-to-day uh, compliance. And the common questions I get from clients, you know, that are that are hesitant about using offshore accountants is, mm-hmm. like, first of all, A, can they integrate with their business? You know, are they able to access the tools? How do they get, you know, access to the critical pieces of information? 
And then B, you know, do they know their system? So, you know, is it sort of, how easy is it for people to sort of flex between and Australian accounting versus US accounting versus UK, for example? Um, so the, the systems are globalized almost, right? Uh, some of the SaaS tools are, are global now. Zero, uh, which I think is, is from New Zealand initially, but it's it's very aggressively growing globally. QuickBooks, uh, traditionally from the US, but also global, uh, who has an online platform. And you've got others over bigger solutions. They're all kind of moving to a fairly similar uh, model, kind of a lot easier to implement. A few, uh, maybe a decade ago, if you needed to implement a fairly complex ERP for your business, it'll cost you big bucks. Now you can do it with a, a set of tools that will cost you between $20 and $100 each a month and you integrate and they almost get the same thing done. Um, for us, the way to tackle this is we actually have created our own training academy. So um, those tools, anyone we hire, go through a training for all of these tools. So the, the ones we use in 90% of the case, people have to become accredited for them. And that's part of our training programs. So the way the way we target this is we, we know the systems that kind of are used globally and, and we train our staff to use them. And every time we onboard the client, we, we tailor uh, process workflows. Uh, we call them our operational wikis, which are SOPs. So we, they're, valid, they're very valid questions because there is a learning curve. But I believe it's on the service provider to, to address that learning curve. And that's a lot easier when you're vertical. If you're a generalist, um, it's, it's, it's very difficult to invest into going that deep in process and technology for, for all of the outsourcing positions you provide. When you're a vertical, that's an investment that, that makes sense because that, that knowledge, um, we work with accountants mostly so going, uh, building and, and maintaining a training academy uh, for them to stay up to speed with, with um, innovation, accounting standards in different countries, how this impacts the way they use their tools and, and provide their output. It makes sense for a vertical like us. Yeah. And that is an interesting point. There are, there's a lot of accounting within outsourcing, I suppose, just through sheer scale a lot of the accountants work in generalist BPOs where there are mm-hmm. full-time dedicated accounting staff working for clients on an in, on in-house sort of terms. Whereas you mm-hmm. are different, aren't you? you? You actually, you're providing the staffing, the hours, but it's, it's more about the processes, the systems. And that's a little bit like an accounting firm, isn't it? Where there's a, a hierarchy of oversight and you're getting sort of input from the skilled specialists. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's rare for us to just do um, provide bookkeeping services. Uh, we normally go deeper and do uh, controllership or financial closing, and then we provide different sets of skills on on that specific engagement. So a lot of the a lot of the time is still bookkeeping work, but then you'll book a few hours here and there from a manager who has experience in in financial analysis. So it's really kind of understanding what the output needs to be and the, the resource or knowledge mix that falls into that. Um, so it's, it's fairly different. Um, it's, it's, it's slightly different than uh, just yeah, outsourcing bookkeeping. Now, now we do have clients that want just bookkeeping and they, they're, they're happy just paying for, for the staff doing that. But our, our belief is that through technology, we can actually do a lot more than just transactional accounting and, um, and, and reduce costs for other other accounting firms globally. So we don't intend to create cloud CFO in, in, in the US, Europe. We'd rather work with either accounting firms or, or uh, large companies that have the need. Uh, 
And um, but yeah, so providing our services to accounting firms that also have a hard time hiring and much more expensive labor markets uh, is is probably where we're going to start with. Yeah, and what is the supply of accountants like in the Philippines? Is, is it good flow of? <laughs> Uh, it's uh, it's used to it's it's becoming harder. Uh, there's a lot less uh, certified public accountants during COVID uh, because of um, I mean the different uh, restrictions on uh, on the educational system. So th- this is really something that that we're looking into. That's also why we create our own training academy. Is um, maybe we do not need to get certified public accountants and we'll train them train them ourselves into becoming like cloud accountants or more specialized accountants with uh, the help of technology. Uh, it's very competitive and it's, it's, it's become more and more competitive. So we compete with audit firms, the big four here locally, you know, all the other audit firms for talent. We compete with all the BPOs that hire accountants. Um, is, there's a great pool of talent, but there are more and more uh, demand for it. And, and COVID um, and all the restrictions have created some um, disruption as well. So there, it, it is it is one of the things that, that we are paying attention to, um, how the talent pool will evolve in the, in the Philippines. Got it. Yeah. A lot of clients, they, they sort of focus on the difference in, you know, people sitting in a different country. Whereas I imagine from the perspective of accounting, there's actually far more uh, variance within the different company types, isn't there? You know, like a small company right. is very different to a big company and a, and a service sector is different to a fintech. Um, there's enormous sort of variation within company types, isn't there, that, that accountants right. are just so sort of normally um, orientate to. Right, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's so I think we talked earlier about kind of a general a global approach to it. Now, every business is different. Even even same businesses, same same businesses from the same industry have different processes. Different, they may use different tools, different technology stack, uh, or ERPs. That that kind of everything needs to be tailored. Um, so it's it's very varied. Um, that's what still makes everything very interesting. Even if uh, time allocated trans- transactional work will will decrease over time, um, it's still a very interesting challenge to to take on. Yeah, and ERPs, you've, you've sort of mentioned that a couple of times, and I've always associated that with enterprises. You know, it's enterprise resource planning. Yep. Can you can you talk to that? And is that because of the sort of the development of technology and these new tools, and mm-hmm. is it getting within reach of the SMEs and even startups to have a kind of level of sophistication within an ERP for, for the smaller end of the market? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's... Um... I mean, you have companies running e-commerce platforms with thousands of transactions a day that just work with two tools that will cost, uh, I don't know, maybe a few hundred dollars to run every month. Uh, before, this would have cost you a few hundred thousand dollars to set up. Um, so that that's all within reach. Now, you do need the expertise to run them. Um, zero, as I mentioned, is probably $30 a month per subscription. And, but if you're just using it for issuing a few invoices and managing your payables and you don't really know how to use over more kind of accounting oriented modules, um, then your zero account may not be the best source of your financial information. Um, so it's the, the tools are there, but you do need some expertise to run them efficiently. And especially once you start talking about integration, integrating them, you do need the know-how because once you start pushing transactions, um, you kind of, 
lose control almost on uh, if you if your interface is not defined properly then things can go wrong very quickly especially on high volume of transactions so th- those tools are fantastic we we invest in technology ourselves but we're not building accounting uh, a cloud accounting system uh, those are available for twenty dollars a month and they're extremely efficient so we don't necessarily want to build too much capex on this uh, what we're investing in is in process management into document exchange management into communication with customers so make the the make the customer experience unique and we just leverage the existing ecosystem of technology that exists because uh, I, I think it's fantastic, especially if you know how to use them, the, the opportunities are huge. Yeah, and Zero then, it is moving into the, the ERP space, is it? Because I, I always sort of assumed and thought certainly initially that it was, you know, a sort of basic, capable but basic accounting package, but, it, but actually if you know how to engineer it, you can you can get it to do whatever you want basically absolutely if you if you if you create apis with other tools and those apis are built off the shelf so in most cases we don't require any time from a developer to build those interfaces between say shopify and zero or an inventory management system and zero um, all of that is off the shelf so you just read the documentation and, and create those apis and the more you integrate them the closer you get to a fairly complex erp got it well, that's exciting. Fantastic. Mikhail, well, if anyone wants to, I recommend people reach out, you know, because there's incredible, even though there is a bit of a shortage, there's incredible skilled talent in the Philippines. And, uh, you know, there's certainly an incredible cost advantage. And there's also very highly skilled, capable people. Absolutely. You know, it's, uh, Definitely. It's certainly worth the conversation. And if anyone is out there that, that is hesitant about sort of having it managed internationally, then it's also worth the conversation. So, Thank you so much, Mikhail. If anyone wants to learn Thanks. more about Cloud CFO or reach out to you, how can they do that? Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn or uh, they can reach out at hello at cloudcfo.ph or, or find our website at cloudcfo.ph as well. Um, very happy to, to chat. We're also open to free consultations if people have questions or any questions about how entering this market and how complex this would be with more details. Happy, uh, happy to entertain those conversations. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, Derek. That was Mikhail Cardoso of Cloud CFO. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, then just drop us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com.